You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Right now, more than half of the United States is in some form of drought. It's not just out west. It's up in the Pacific Northwest. It's in the upper Midwest. There's drought in New England, and there's even dry conditions here in North Carolina where I live. Almost 80 million people live in some part of the country where there's drought. During times like this, every drop really does count. Showerheads are an easy way to conserve water in our homes. That's why I use High Sierra Showerheads at my house, and I'm really proud that they're a sponsor of this podcast. They carry the EPA WaterSense label for water efficiency and use 40% less water than conventional low-flow showerheads. They use just a gallon and a half a minute. So what does that come out to? For every minute you're in the shower, you're saving one gallon of water. You take a 10-minute shower, that's 10 gallons of water you have not used because you have high Sierra shower heads. Over the course of a month, that's 300 gallons of water that have been conserved. You're going to also save on your water bill and your energy bill. You can get 20% off using promo code LOOP20 at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Going to talk about navigating the flood, a new guide that's out to help communities with flooding issues and stormwater issues. Uh, joined by two guests to talk about this with Erica De Palma from the Water Center at Penn. Erica, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely excited to chat. Uh, also here with Caroline Cook of the Water Now Alliance. Caroline, thanks for coming on as well. Hey, Travis. Good to see you. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, two awesome entities, the Water Center at Penn, Water Now Alliance. Very happy to have you on here. Great work, always community-focused, solution-focused, and that's what we are all about. Um, let's talk about the problem a little bit before we to dive into this guide that you all have put together. Um, what are the impacts of, of flooding and stormwater on communities across the country? What's going on out there right now? Yeah, thank you so much for that question, Travis. I think it is really important to kind of outline the problem. And, you know, we found across the nation that the provision of basic stormwater and flood management services is, is increasingly at risk. And we know this to be true, despite the fact that there are few public services more fundamental to public health and safety, community, social and economic sustainability and climate resilience. So to your question more specifically, you know, the impacts of flooding and stormwater on communities across the country are vast, and they're often regionally and locally dependent. So we really had to think about that when developing the guide. From the regional perspective, one of the biggest considerations is climactic variation. So as storms are lasting shorter durations, yet with increased intensities, stormwater and flood systems are historically not designed to manage these kinds of storm events. Um, so, you know, therefore causing less water to infiltrate into the ground or conveyed to a water body and causing more water to end up in the streets and even in people's homes and basements. So the larger impacts of these events, you know, can also cause property damage and in extreme scenarios, res residents may even lose their homes. 
So from the perspective of, you know, local perspective, increased impervious surfaces resulting from the development of things that we use every day, like streets, parking lots, and buildings, allots for less water to also infiltrate into the ground. And as stormwater runoff kind of travels through all these areas, you know, and urban floodwaters submerge the urban streets, travel across agricultural land and even suburban lawns, it picks up all these anthropogenic and non-anthropogenic pollution uh, pollutants on the ground yielding poor water quality that ends up in our streams lakes and oceans and sometimes even back into our drinking water plants that causes costly challenges and so to kind of sum up um, the biggest impacts as a result of these challenges includes localized flooding of poor water quality and sewage backups as the stormwater and floodwaters overwhelm the capacity of our aging drainage systems and so Navigate the Flood, this new guide, really provides resources to effectively tackle these challenges and includes some steps to follow uh, to get, you know, decision makers started. And hopefully we'll kind of get to some of those steps later in the, in the talk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just see this happening everywhere in the news and on social media all the time, right? Like these crazy intense rainfall events. That's that's mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest challenges is the is the changing climate. I mean, it was just yesterday uh some big storms in New York City even like flooded the subway, some subway stations, just crazy mm -hmm. scenes. Um I feel like I've noticed it personally where I've lived over the past five to 10 years, just these, these heavy rainfalls. And then you combine that with, like you said, aging infrastructure, and then especially just all the roads, all the rooftops, mm -hmm. all the sidewalks, just continuing to see asphalt and concrete everywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. That's that's kind of what's the, what the perfect storm is here. Um, why more are communities struggling to deal with this, um, you know, what what are the challenges for them that that makes it so difficult to deal with the flooding, deal with the stormwater runoff? Yeah, I think um, there's a, a lot of reasons why there's challenges around addressing these um, these stormwater and flooding um, impacts that Erica mentioned. Um, or to just cover a couple of examples of you know what this looks like on the ground for communities, um, as you are mentioning, Travis, there's a broad range of um, cities and towns across the country that are uh, grappling with these with these challenges. And you know, as Erica mentioned, stormwater runoff continues to be in a major impairment to stormwater quality and public health um, and urban flooding which is already the most common natural disaster in the U.S., is expected to increase um, by an additional 45% by the end of the century due to climate change. So it really is a major uh, reason why these uh, challenges are increasing is climate change. Um, but it's also um, being able to access resources um, and, and find guidance to meeting these challenges. And that's really why the Water Center and Water Now developed um, Navigate the Flood to try to provide and surface those resources for these communities. Um, so just as a few examples of, of communities that are impacted by these um, stormwater and flooding, uh, for example, uh, through our Project Accelerator program, Water Now has worked with the city of New Orleans uh, that you mentioned, we'll be you'll be talking to them soon. I think Travis, yep. um, where it's not news to anyone that they you know face severe flooding and intensified um, that is intensified by climate change and and physical stressors 
like land subsidence and coastal wetland loss, um, which, you know, con- contributes to those flooding challenges. Um, so we worked with them to create a systematic adoption of a green streets policy to help address um, those impacts. And as part of our uh, Tap into Resilience Initiative, Arnell is also working with Sheboygan, Wisconsin, for example, um, a community of about 50,000 um, that's working to improve their stormwater quality with widespread adoption of green infrastructure on both public and private property. So as you might know, I'm sure you do, most uh property in a community is privately owned. So that's another challenge of how do you uh, manage stormwater runoff from private property, um, which can create unique questions for local governments looking to um, keep stormwater out of their combined systems, for example. Um, And then there are communities like San Mateo, California, that need to address both flooding and stormwater quality. So given his experience in combating these dual challenges, uh, the county stormwater manager was actually gracious enough to provide his input for us as we developed the, the Navigate the Flood Guide. So it sounds like the big challenges are, as always, money, right? Having, having the funds to, to do projects. Uh, but the other big piece is the technical knowledge and, and, and access to solutions, which I think you all are trying to address by putting this guide out there. Um, it's fascinating that you mentioned that, that urban flooding is like the biggest ongoing natural disaster in the country. That That's something I didn't think about, but makes complete sense when you see all the stories like I, like I talked about. Um, but on the positive side, you mentioned these communities where things are changing, right? Sheboygan and New Orleans, uh, where they're adopting like these big green streets initiatives. Um, Mm -hmm. So change is possible. It is happening out there. There are communities doing this. Uh, We just need to help them and and help the others along the way. The guide itself, um, you you mentioned it a little bit, but I'd love to hear more. What what is this guide? Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely happy to share. Um, And as Caroline noted, you know, a lot of our efforts were uh, informed by communities that we work with. So both our kind of respective organizations, Water Center at Penn and Water Now, we, we get to work firsthand with a lot of entities that are responsible for managing um, stormwater, drinking water, wastewater, and just, you know, getting their perspective on what would be most useful to really include in this guide is something that we greatly valued throughout the process of developing it. Um, but the guide itself, so happy to talk about it. So it's an online guide that offers local decision makers um, and city and utility staff kind of a curated and intentional list of technical guidance and funding resources for stormwater and flood planning and management. And also to tackle those flooding and stormwater impacts that we talked about earlier, um, you know, that greatly impact communities across the country. So the new guide features five process-oriented steps to navigate the flood, uh, each with user-friendly explanations and customized resources. You know, these steps are intended to serve the decision makers who want a bit more information on how to strategically approach stormwater and flooding management in order to provide the most effective and the most equitable plan. Equity was a really key component of our efforts in developing this guide, and we wanted to have it as an overarching um, yeah, kind of planning tool that, that folks can, or planning consideration that folks can really take into account. 
And the guide also features, you know, over 90 external technical and financial resources. You know, you highlighted these two components, Travis, um, and they're they're some of the most important things to consider and, you know, be able to access when uh, managing these challenges. Um, And so those resources are available in the filterable curated library, um, including the type of information each resource uh, provides, as well as the original source of the resources. Um, and then the, the guide also, uh, you know, offers the navigator's checklist, which we developed as a download, downloadable checklist for the decision maker or technical staff looking for something to print and take into the field. So it includes, again, all those process oriented steps and some high level considerations that folks can um, be able to kind of check off uh, literally. And that was something that was really informed um, by uh, you know, uh, potential users who we were able to connect to uh, throughout the process of developing the guide as something really valuable, you know, not just something that's found online, but something that can be printed out and uh, carried with them into the field. Um, and then we also have a stakeholder engagement include, uh, stakeholder engagement plan included within the guide. Uh, this details the role of stakeholder engagement at, you know, every step of the way. And, and that, that portion of the guide is linked throughout the process-oriented steps as well so that folks can jump right to that um, at any point. And then finally, uh, there's a list of nation, uh, national, state, and regional level technical assistance providers and information on how to access them. So, you know, um, these kind of users are, they have access to technical assistance providers, typically at the state level that are there to support decision makers in, uh, you know, very one-on-one way, making decisions, uh, help making decisions to, to meet regulatory requirements and, and other, you know, challenges that, um, that these decision makers face. I want to I dive a little bit into some of the specific steps that are in there, but but first, uh, who should use this guide? Who's who's this really intended for? Is it really just one entity? Are there multiple that can benefit from them? Who who should who should open this up? Yeah, I think that is a, a great question um, and something that we thought about a lot as we were developing the the guide. Um, and really, it's designed for those smaller or less resource communities that might not have the internal staff capacity to wade through customize and then prioritize all the various resources that that Erica explained are in the guide. Um, Certainly the steps um, and the resources we think will be useful to the full range of communities that, you know, are working to meet their stormwater and flooding challenges, but we really designed the guide with those smaller communities in mind. Um, So then within that group, there really are two key audiences, um, depending on, on what your your needs are. For local elected and appointed officials, the guide really offers a way to orient yourself um, to the fundamentals and language of stormwater and flood management um, through an overview of the key decision-making steps that Erica mentioned um, for planning and building a sustainable, resilient, and equitable um, program. Um, and what they navigate, the navigator's checklist that Erica mentioned is a key tool for those local decision makers um, to ask their, their technical staff the questions um, at each step of the planning and implementation process. Um, so they just have that resource along the way um, to engage in the process. And then for the second kind of key audience is those managers and staff level the guide does offer a way to really drill down into um, the nuts and bolts of planning and implementing 
through that five-step process that I think Erica will tell you more about in a little bit, but really provides a deep well of those technical and financial resources that are available to support the planning and management for stormwater and flooding programs. Um, and so you can either do that by clicking through each of the five steps and um, doing it uh, as a, a one, two, three, four, five, or you can go directly to the resource library and use those filters that Erica talked about, or go directly to the technical assistance portal and you know get some hands-on direct capacity support um, from those folks that are available and those organizations that are stand at the ready to um, provide that hands-on support. Yeah. Awesome. I love the way that you've structured it to have multiple entry points or ways that you can move through it or just resources you can tap into. I think you kind of alluded to the to fact that smaller entities are, could be overwhelmed right, with where to start or where to go. Um, so it's really key to, to provide an easy way to, to get into resources like this and places to start. All right. So the five steps that are in the guide here, uh, really curious to hear about uh, kind of a quick overview of like, hey, these are these are the five things you want to do to to better manage these these flooding and stormwater conditions. Erica? Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. I don't know if I've made that <laughs> visible to talk about these five coveted steps. Oh, no. um, but yes, uh, you know, the five steps in the guide include the first step is to define the condition of your community system. So you can't really make you know, improvements without really defining, okay, where are we, where are we at right now? What's our, what are our current conditions of your community system? And then uh, the second step is to identify your community's challenges. So, you know, looking at you, you have your system as it stands now, what are the biggest challenges that are plaguing kind of the health and sustainability of that system? And then the third step is to set your community's visions and goals. Now that we understand the current state and the challenges, what are the goals for the future and the vision for our system for the future? Um, and then the fourth step is to choose your community solutions. So, you know, it, it, this becomes a little bit more clear when you work through the steps of like, what are the possible solutions um, as well? And so those solutions should be in line with the goals that you've outlined in step three. Um, and then uh, put your community's plan into action. So spend all this time thinking critically about, you know, where is my community's system at right now? What are the challenges? What are my goals for the futures? And then, you know, what are the solutions or potential solutions, and then, okay, let's take all this and really put it into action. So those are how the five steps um, really, you know, work sequentially. Um, as Caroline noted, you know, if, if a decision maker is kind of like, I already know my current system and the challenges, then they can just jump right into step three and, and start developing their, their visions and goals. But just, you know, it's all available in the kind of five steps to really, um, for decision makers to kind of start where they're at and, and kind of, you know, really uh, work towards a sustainable plan to addressing these uh, stormwater and flood challenges. And, you know, I really do want to note that the, the development of these steps, you know, were informed by decision makers and practitioners in the field, as well as researchers and lawyers. And, you know, each step is accompanied with a series of sub steps, 
detailing an approach to achieve the goal of the step. So there's a lot of, you know, steps and sub steps, but they're all there to really walk folks through what's needed uh, to, to manage these challenges. Um, and each of the sub steps is also accompanied with a series of targeted technical and financial resources, as well as relevant case studies. So as we've talked about, you can go right to the resources tab and, and uh, be able to access those resources. But then they're also strategically placed throughout the guide to be directly relevant to certain sub steps um, for the five steps. So I know it's a lot of steps and resources <laughs> and places, but, uh, you know, we, we wanted to make it um, as intentional as possible and have everything really relevant throughout the space. You know, you've, you've mentioned some different communities, specific ones, and the idea that people have helped feed into this guide. Um, I'd love to just hear some more examples about communities that are doing this type of thing well, communities that have really helped inform the guide, places that people can look to see, oh, okay, that's how I can navigate the flood. Yeah, I think that's another exciting part of the guide is it really is full of these case studies and success stories um, that folks can learn from. So as Erica mentioned, they're paired up with each step, or you can just filter the library itself and just see all the case studies in one place. Um, to highlight just a couple of them uh, for us today, um, one of the most popular so far has been um, Camden County Municipal Utility Authorities example of their community-driven development of the long-term control plan, um, which really was aimed at finding the optimal mix of green and gray infrastructure that's needed to address combined sewer overflows. So lots of great information in there of how um, Camden County really engaged the community in that process um, to ensure that it met the community visions and goals um, and uh, while resolving, you know, the combined sewer overflows and, and the, the technical aspects that they needed to address. Um, another popular case study has been uh, the city of Taggart's Oregon Stormwater Master Plan um, that really provides a good example of how a community can plan for and implement a variety of uh, stormwater programs um, and the master plan includes an examination of the, the program timescales, the various costs, um, the relative benefits of each um, project type and partnerships that are needed to really execute those, um, those programs because it, it doesn't, because of the widespread um, challenges across public and private property, it really does take those partnerships um, to, uh, find the solutions to the stormwater and flooding um, impacts. And I'll mention too that we are always looking for new case studies to add into the guide, um, which gets regularly updated. So we encourage anyone that, that is um, exploring the website or has a good example that they would like to share with us uh, to send it our way and we can get it uploaded into the library. An open invitation, everybody. Listen to that and take it if you can. Awesome. Uh, very informative. I'm always a massive fan of practical tools like this. Um, that's what people need, communities need to, to drive change. Uh, Erica and Caroline, super informative. Really appreciate your time. Uh, and I encourage people to go uh, check out the guide. I'll definitely link to it in the podcast episode. But thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much, Travis. 
Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, Please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates.